Good morning. Scott Weatherford again. And we're continuing to deal with see the new normal as things have changed. Now, I realize that uh, that the election is over and things have changed, uh, whether we brought in a new leader or affirmed an old leader. I don't know. I'm filming this before the election. But uh, everything has changed. Now, here's this is kind of interesting that I've decided to talk about this. I actually decided months ago to talk about this. How do you how are you faithful when you're dealing with crazy? We deal with a crazy person. We deal with crazy circumstances and situations. So I, I have no idea what's going on because it's you know I'm not a prophet that can tell you in the future. But I know this that crazy is a part of life. Now here's some crazy quotes I want to give you that you could hold on to. Everyone is normal until you get to know them. Isn't that true? Everyone's normal to get to get to know them. And in fact, as you get to know them, you find out that we're already a little crazy. Then you say, well, I'm not crazy. Uh, it, it, I don't have any crazy people in my life. It's you, you, you're crazy. And we all have to deal with ourselves. Now, normal is a setting on the dryer. Uh, Armour Bonbeck uh, had that, that book a long time ago. And that's really true, that things are not normal. So we say, well, oh, we want things to go back to normal. It never was normal. It's not going back to normal. And we see the new normal is really not a new normal because there ain't no such thing as normal. Normal is a setting on the dryer. Now, everything is normal until it's not, until it changes. And we talked about change last week, and we said the way you navigate change is you hold on to the one who doesn't change. That's the way you navigate change. Now, these normal statements that I just read, these three, they're revealing. The pandemic, the elections, have all left us a desire to go back to how things were to not wearing masks, to not social distancing, by having 120,000 people in a football stadium and, and having uh, the church house packed with people and overflowing. And, but what is normal? When I think of what is normal, what it does, it creates a sense of security and stability. And when it's not normal, that leads to a level of insecurity and instability. Now, most of us long for stability and security in our life. And predictably and being predictable is often the most comfortable that we know what's going to happen is really the most comfortable back when i was in seminary i remember talking about planning a worship gathering and they said people like ritual they like predictability and the thing is that god is not predictable and god is the god of creativity and imagination even though he does not change in his character, he's always changing in the way he reveals himself. Predictability is comfortable, and comfortable can often lead, well, to dysfunction, to not dealing with things and just wanting things to be comfortable. Now, thinking through this series, I'll see the new normal. The question comes to my mind, how do I deal with major shifts of what is normal, and then when someone in this major shift is crazy, how do I deal with the crazy people in my life? How do I deal with my own craziness? What do I have to do? Now, it's not the circumstances of life that define us. That makes normal really hard to find. And it's not the people we uh, have in our life that, deform, that, 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 uh, that determine our destinies, determine who we are. It's how do we deal with those people? And how do we make normal hard to find? See, there's no better book than the, than the book of Daniel to help us shift our cultural understanding. He was uprooted from his home, as we talked about. He was placed into a new culture, and we talked about that. On top of that, he had to deal with a crazy person, and that crazy person happened to be the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was all-powerful. What he said 
it became law. And so he had to deal with this crazy person. How did he make these adjustments? How did he deal with this crazy person in his life? How could he find what God wanted for him to find? Well, let's see the second chapter of Daniel and discover how to deal with crazy. I think it's going to be revealing. And as I looked at it in my own life, I went, "Eh, yeah, I think I need this talk maybe more than you do. But anyway, you'll get the leftovers of it. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me to these people that you love. And I pray that this all will be helpful as we decide to live all for you. And we pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Now, here's the first thing I want you to consider. Now, this we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today. And we'll throw it up on the screen so you can follow with me because I want you to see how Scripture really builds upon a recipe or a, a formula for dealing with crazy people in your life. Now, there are crazy people in your life. That's the first thing I want you to hear. Now, let me read for you. This is a long passage. This is one Daniel 2, 1 through 11. Let me read. In the second year of the king of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And then the king commanded that the magicians and enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans uh, be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb for limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Actually, he's saying your houses shall be turned into latrines. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive gifts from me and its rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time, let the king tell his servant the dream and we will show you his interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time changes. Therefore, tell me the dream and you shall know uh, I can show you its interpretation. The Chaldeans that answered to the king said, There is not a man on earth who could meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. And the things that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now this is crazy, y'all. King had a dream. He called his enchanters in. He said, Tell me what I dreamed. Said, then tell me what it means. What? That's crazy. He was making an unrealistic demand on his, his, his team there, his Chaldeans, his, his enchanters, his wisdom. They couldn't do this. Now, sometimes when we deal with people, they make unrealistic demands that we can't do, and we just go like, what? Why, did, why are they asking this? What are they doing? What, what is this all about? Now, I want to backtrack just a bit and talk to you about Eastern mysticism. It's very interesting. And I've been to the East many times, worked a lot of years in Kazakhstan, have been to Southeast Asia and to uh, the Indonesian archipelago. I've been to those places. And I've seen God work in people's lives through dreams. <clears throat> Excuse me. God often uses dreams to show people his pathway. I was coaching a group of pastors in Kazakhstan over a number of years, about five years I was coaching these pastors. And all of them were Muslims who became Christians. Every one of them, all five of these guys, 
They came to Christ. Uh, might have been nine. I can't remember exactly. They came to Christ, get this, through a dream. God used dreams to awaken them to their need for Jesus. And I've heard this throughout the, the Islam world, through the, the Muslim world, that God uses dreams to speak to people to draw them to himself. Hear about it in Asia as well. I know this, and I tell Terry this, every time I go there, I have crazy vivid dreams. And God uses dreams. And here in this Eastern king, God was stirring his, this up. Now, often when we study this passage in chapter 2 of Daniel, we get focused on the dream and its interpretation and its prophecy rather than how Daniel dealt with this crazy situation. Now, what, I, what I've done with this talk, hopefully, is pivoted to let you see not so much the dream, and we'll get to the dream, but to see how Daniel dealt with the crazy person of Nebuchadnezzar, especially when he was the king. He was asking a crazy thing, and the reaction of a God-fearing man, a God-honoring man, really becomes our pattern of how we deal with crazy things in our life. Uh, you couldn't get away from the king. It, it, you couldn't work for him, but you had to. So let's look at some behaviors of this crazy king. And I want you to look at this, and as you look at it, I want you to look at your own heart and look at the circumstances of people around you. What are they like? Some, uh, some, They're arrogant. They deal with arrogance, and they're very self-focused and self-entitled. And er crazy and arrogance go to, well together, that it's about me. They're entitled. I want what I want when I want it. And crazy manifests itself in a spirit of entitlement. They have unrealistic expectations, unrealistic expectations. I, I dealt with a situation where a woman had a dream that her husband was having an affair. She woke up from the dream and beat him and put him in the hospital. That's crazy. But that's that unrealistic expectation. And so many times in our relationships, we expect people to know what we're feeling, know what we're thinking, know our motives, when it's unrealistic and it produces crazy behaviors on our part or produces crazy behaviors on their part unrealistic expectations. And uh, always, they're threatening. Either threatening to leave, to disassociate, to defund, to separate, to do or in this case, the king threatened to kill them all and turn their houses into latrines. That's pretty radical. So arrogance, entitlement, unrealistic expectation, and threatening. Now, I wrote this, and, and we're going to throw this up on the screen so you can hold on to this. The loss of self-awareness can lead to crazy behaviors. <laughs> you see, when I'm not aware of myself and how I'm coming across, I can become crazy to everyone around me. Man, as a leader, I get that. I'm really afraid to put this on video because some of my team is going to be laughing. Yeah, you need to be more aware. And that's true. Self-awareness is a gift from God to be aware of who I am. Now, crazy behaviors, this is what they produce. This is the fruit of crazy. Produces insecurity and instability. That's what it does. So how do I deal with this? What do I do with this? Now, here's the thought. This is from 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In other words, I cannot control the crazy person in my life, but I can control the crazy person of me. As Daniel looked at this, he realized he wasn't the problem. Nebuchadnezzar was the problem, and he had to deal with him. But I want to tell you something. Before you start dealing with crazy people in your life, deal with yourself first. With yourself first. And ask God to reveal to you 
What are you doing? What should you be doing? Boy, in this season of my life, in this insecurity and certainty of the pandemic, I'm having to deal with this because, listen, crazy is contagious. If I'm crazy, my wife is crazy, my kids are crazy, my grandkids are crazy, the team around me is crazy, and the church at hold is crazy. I have to deal with me first, and so do you. What is God saying to me? Now, I can do this. I can react or act, and my response makes the difference of how things move forward. If I'm reacting out of emotion or out of fear or out of control, then, then things go off the rails pretty quick. Or I can act on the security and the nature and the character of the Lord God Almighty, and then he moves on my behalf. Let me read for you. This is Daniel 2, 12 through 16. Because the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. So a decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel replied with prudent and with prudence and discretion to, to Arach, that was the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arach, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arach made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the dream. So, okay, where, was Daniel not in the original meeting? No, he wasn't. When the king called all the Chaldeans, now he's no, he said the Chaldeans. He didn't say Jewish wise men, the Chaldeans. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Belshazzar, or Daniel, they were all separated out from this. But when the executioner went, he went to kill the Judeans first. Why? Because the Chaldeans hated the Jews. And you'll see that kind of fleshed out like in the book of Esther. You'll see that fleshed out. And then throughout the, the, the influence of Daniel, you'll see the jealousy that, that happens, and we're going to talk about this, about Daniel and the lion's head coming up in another series. But they'd gone first, and Daniel's going like, whoa, pump the brakes here, Eric. What's going on? And he says, well, this is what's going on. And Daniel went, oh, my gosh. So he went to the king. Now, listen, this is what Daniel did. He didn't panic. This was drama upon drama, and Daniel lifted himself above drama to look at things from a different perspective. What a lesson. You see, drama is a quicksand cauldron that brings you down to the place of uncertainty and insecurity and crazy. Daniel rose above the drama. Why? Because his inward decision had shaped his character to trust in God no matter what. Daniel didn't give in to it. Daniel then confronted the king. He had the courage to go to the king and have a critical conversation. Now, this is a king who could have killed him on the spot. But Daniel went and said, hey, king, pump the brakes here. Give me a little time, and I'll come back to you with an answer. Now, Daniel's consistent lifestyle gave him favor with the king and confidence of the king. The king thought, well, okay, if Daniel was coming in, and he wasn't in the original meeting, <clears throat> and he was 10 times better than all the other you know, counselors, then maybe I need to listen. And this is what happened. That God sent a rescuer. God sent a rescue, and God will rescue you. God will rescue you from crazy when you're dependent upon him. Let me read. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishalah, and Azariah, his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, that, uh, a vision of night, that Daniel blessed the Lord, the God of heaven, 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up kings. He, see, get, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to me the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went to Arach, who, was the, who had the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. What? Yeah, God revealed to Daniel the dream. Daniel dreamt the same dream. Only God could do that. And then Daniel, look what Daniel did. He said, eh, I'm so spiritual. God, you showed this to me. No, he gave praise to God. It gave credit to God. Now, I want you to look at some things. That God delayed the decision of destruction because God is faithful. And when you're dealing with crazy, you got to remember God is faithful. He's faithful. Now, Daniel, this is what Daniel did. And this is the pattern he did. The first thing he did is he went into his biblical community and he asked for prayer and unity. Very interesting. Paul would write to the church in Philip. Philippi. He would say, be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and petition, make your request known to be to God. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And the word petition means to get other people involved with your praying. That's why you write a petition. That's why we have a prayer chain. That's why we have a prayer ministry that we might pray with one another. And he went to those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hadaniah, Mishalah, Azariah, and he said, let's pray together. Let's ask God to do what only God can do. Now, you remember from the reading in chapter 1 that God gave Daniel a special ability with dreams and vision. So Daniel was the right guy for the assignment, but he involved his community. That's why you need a group. That's why, that we can pray for one another and discern with one another. One thing our group started recently is that we, we write our name, a prayer request on a card, and we put our name on it, we'd drop it in a hat, and we would draw them out. And men would draw out men's names, and women would draw out women's names. And then we became prayer partners for one another. And we would pray with one another, call one another, and enter into the other. Prayer and petition, prayer and petition. That's why we pray, because God gives us courage when we live in community. And God gave, Daniel gave thanks to God. He didn't take credit. He gave thanks to God. Now listen to this. God provides what only God could provide. And Daniel made sure the crazy king knew it was God. Listen. Then Arach brought Daniel in before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known the king's interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known the dream to me? I've seen in its interpretation. And Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in later days. You're dreaming the vision of your head as you lay in the bed. Are these to you, O king? That you lay in your bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And to who reveals mysteries to make known to you what is to be. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have or more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, 
so that you may know the thoughts of your mind and that God would get the glory. And it, it, Belshazzar, you look at his life, and he was crazy. I mean, he created the statue for people to worship. He, he did a bunch of stuff. He was crazy, and he ruled for about 45 years in, in Babylon. And he was crazy that God was working in his life to show himself to him, even though he was crazy. And God was using Daniel, a man of confidence, a man of prayer, a man who refused to give in to drama, a man who drew others into his community to deal with crazy. And this is what God wants to do for you. All right? Now, I know some of you are going, well, what about the dream, Pastor? You go, show us about the dream. Okay, let me tell you about the dream. The dream was that there was a great statue and it had four distinctives about it. Now, here what it was, was God was foretelling to Nebuchadnezzar what the kingdoms of the world would be. He said, after Babylon, there was going to come the, the, the Persians and the Medes, and they were going to rule. Then after the Persians and the Medes were conquered, and they were conquered by Greece, Alexander the Great defeated the Persians and took over and became the conqueror of the whole world, Alexander the Great, and it was the, 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 the kingdom of Greece. And then Rome came along and conquered the Greeks. So he was showing him the progression of world kingdoms. Babylon, the great kingdom, was conquered by Persia and the Persians and the Medes, and that, that was conquered by Greece, and that was conquered by Rome. And Rome ruled the world, as did Babylon, the Persians, the Greeks, and then Rome. But then there's King Jesus, who came like a mighty stone out of heaven and smashed all the kingdoms of the world. What he's saying to him was an apocalyptic uh, view of eschatology that one day King Jesus would rule and reign over all the kingdoms of the world. And that's what he was telling the king, that there was a kingdom that was coming that would be greater than any kingdom, and of course that was the kingdom of God. Now, later in the 300s, the Holy Roman Empire rose up because they thought that they were to interpret Daniel's dream, but it wasn't. That was a religious movement, not a, not a, uh, not a biblical movement. The biblical movement was one day Jesus is going to come back and establish his earthly reign. But until that time, he reigns in me, and he reigns in you. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It's in the hearts of those who believe. And one day, it will be in this world as God ushers in the new kingdom at his glorious return. That's what he's talking about. Now, we could spend all our time looking at the dream, or we can look at the reaction of a godly man dealing with a crazy person in his life. Now, here's some parting thoughts I want to leave with you, okay? Everyone's normality, get to know them. Everyone. Before you deal with a crazy person, deal with yourself. Deal with yourself. Maybe your first move of dealing with a crazy person is create distance from them. Maybe you say, I can't be in relationship with them because they're so crazy. I can honor them from a distance. Maybe that's a parent. Maybe that's an in-law. Maybe that's a neighbor. Maybe that's a, a, a sibling. <clears throat> but you have to create distance from them. And the Bible says to honor them from a distance. So you, you distance. Maybe, not maybe, but absolutely, you need a biblical group. You need community. You need to, and we talk about life groups here. Life group is not a program, y'all. It's a way of life that you're with people who you're in community with who share with you this life of faith. And it's all centered around God's word. I wouldn't want to live any other way than with a biblical community. In fact, I'd say this to you. I would rather you be involved with a group and community that show up in a gathering. Because group life is really where the heart of God 
in the discipleship process, becoming like Jesus, it really becomes real. And it's the way people can come to know Christ by watching you live in community with one another. You need a group. And here's the last thing. You need Jesus. You need him. You need him to work in your heart and your life. You need him to work in your relationships. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. And when we have Jesus, he gives us every tool we need to live a life that honors him. He gives us the will and the desire to do what pleases him. He gives us the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom and discernment. You see, Daniel got from God what only God could give, and then Daniel used only what God could give to bring glory to God by revelation to a crazy king. This stuff helps you to live a life that's different. All of us deal with crazy. Everyone's normal till you get to know them. Normal's a setting on the dryer. Everyone has to deal with it. And some of it, it's you that needs to deal with it with Jesus so you can live a life of wholeness and purity in this crazy, chaotic, changing world. My prayer is that you will surrender to Jesus and then live all for him. As I'm going to surrender to Jesus, could keep surrendering to Jesus and live all for him. That, my friend, will help. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for what you've said to us today in this really powerful word from you, that we will not be satisfied for living in a cauldron of craziness, but Father, we will take these action steps and live appropriately and let you bring the, you get the glory and honor for our lives. Father, I know there's some of the listening, again, they need to give their life to you. They need you. They need to say, Jesus, I'm yours. And repent of their sins and accept you as Savior. And Father, I pray that they'll do that just now. And, and, and some of them are going, you know what, I need to get in a group. And they take proactive steps to get in a group or take the next step and become a part of this family or, or watch the videos on growing and serving and sharing. Help, Father, just do what in us, what you want done, that we might not live crazy, chaotic lives in this world that's always changing. And our normalcy can be found in you and our life can be found in you and our hope be found in you because our future is found in you. Thank you for what you said to us. And we pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. If you prayed with me today and received Christ, just raise your hand and said, okay, uh, Jesus, I'm yours. And let us send you some information to help you. Maybe you, you need to give to help us do what God wants us to do in this world. Uh, you know, it's getting close to the end of the year and end of year gifts make a big difference. And we're about to launch an initiative here to uh, Christ-centered ministries that's just going to be changing the world, and financial support is, is helpful. You know, God right now doesn't want us to build buildings. He wants us to build lives and build lives all over the world. So we're joining him in that effort because he wants our brightest minds and our best and our best efforts. So join us with that in your, in your financial giving. I know Tara and I are stepping into that as well because we believe that God's working in a big, big way. So give and, and then, then live this life all for Christ. Get in a group. Maybe uh, you need to form a watch party where you are. Maybe whatever state you're in, invite people into your home to watch and be a part of this family, to, to take advantage of our life group curriculum that's at our website, fbcwimberly.com, and use all these tools we provided that you might live all for Jesus. And remember this, I love you, and God is busy building your life that you might honor him. God bless you.